Forbes Books presents Unleashed with Rick Simmons, the podcast that connects you with leaders who embrace moments of volatility and disruption to harness the power of liminal space and to drive transformational change. I'm Joe Partavilla. Rick and I welcome you back to our conversation with Dara Torres, the legendary 12-time Olympic medalist and the oldest swimmer to earn a place in the U.S. Olympic team at the age of 41. And now, Darren, heartbreaks sometimes define who we are. And going back to Beijing, when you had that split-second finish behind the gold medalist, you've endured so much hardship, whether it's in the pool or in your personal life, which you've been very candid about. But is all pain created equally, whether it's a crushing loss or divorce? I mean, is it all at the same level or is it different? I think pain comes at different levels. But, you know, when you're going through it, no matter what it is, it's something emotional in your life, like a marriage or miss an Olympic gold medal, which you train for your whole life for by one one hundredth of a second, like no matter what it is, you have to put things into perspective. And when I look back on my life and the things I've gone through, yes, there are things that I don't wish upon my anything like bad about on my enemy, what I've been through. But with that being said, you learn a lot through those experiences. And so I don't think I'd be the person I am today if I hadn't gone through the experiences that I've gone through. And you, you learn and you grow. And I think that's what sort of makes you who you are. And so, yeah, I mean, the example of, of losing by a hundredth of a second, you know, I'll never forget that the night before I swam, I was watching Phelps swim and he was going for his seventh gold medal. And the next day after my relay, he was swimming for his eighth and he was losing his event, that event the whole entire way, the hundred butterfly. And at the very end, it still looked like he lost, but he outtouched this other guy by a hundredth of a second, and I was sick of myself. Oh my God, that poor guy that lost by a hundredth of a second, that's gotta be the worst feeling in the world, you know? And then fast forward the next day in my final swim and I lost by a hundredth of a second, but you know, I was very upset. I remember my, my coach was in the hospital, he was sick at that point, and um, I called him in between. I had that race and then I had a relay to anchor, and I called him sort of in between really quickly because I only had like 30 minutes. You know, I was talking to him and I just like kind of started bawling. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't this you know does this mean I have to go to the four years I I you know I hung up the second um, I like it was just in my head and but when I got out of the pool and I did my interviews and I was still upset like that night and then the next day I went to the Great Wall kind of got my mind off and the next day I flew home to Florida and it's a 17 hour flight so it's a very long flight and um on that flight home I had a lot of time to sort of sit there and and think a little bit and for me personally um you know, I realized that it's like I said in 2012, I really gave it everything I had. I ate the way I was supposed to eat. I slept. I, I was coached the way I was supposed to be coached. I listened to my coaches. I did everything that my trainers, like everyone told me to do. And I really enough left no stones unturned. So when you have a loss like that, where you've trained your whole entire life, still having got a four Olympic games, you're trying one more to try to get that individual gold medal and you lose by a second. And it's kind of a lot. But you have to put it in perspective, too, that if I gave it everything I had, it wasn't my day to win the gold medal. Dara, I don't want to press too hard in on this, but how long does one replay that race in their mind until they can let it go? So I really think that um, by the time I got to Florida, I was okay. It was a rough night that I got the silver medal. And the next night, that was my last night in Beijing. But when I took that flight back and put everything into perspective, I was okay, but I have to tell you, when I was in Beijing, I was asking myself, how long is it going to be until I get over this? Like, am I going to have to deal with this my whole life? And 
it, it really like when you have some time to reflect and, and think about everything as a whole and look at the whole picture, then you can kind of get through things, I think, a little bit better. How do people like you survive in this Olympic world where basically these your Olympians, your, your celebrities every four years, but then people – I mean, without being too crass, don't care that you're waking up at three o'clock every morning, swimming your ass off or running your ass off to prepare for that big Olympic game. I know there's meets along the way and qualifiers, but how tough is it for you to be like, I'm anonymous, anonymous, and all of a sudden I'm the biggest thing on the planet. How do you guys handle that? Because that seems incredibly overwhelming. Well, I think for me, like the people who really were sort of, I guess followers of me were older, so they weren't as crazy. <laughs> like Phelps had all these little kids, like everywhere, everywhere he goes, there's kids, 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 kids. Um, so I had adults, so they were really respectful, um, you know, coming up to me and, and you know, whether I'm on an airplane or a restaurant, it's obviously a lot less now than it was right after Beijing and, and even in 2012, but it's definitely faded. But then all of a sudden someone comes up to you like, Hey, aren't you? And, Oh, you did this. And, and, or, or like, even if a younger person comes up to me, like, oh, my grandmother loves you. And I'm like, oh, thanks, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I think it was, it was, it was different because I would, I remember going to pick up my daughter from nursery school and there was like paparazzi in the, in the bushes, like waiting to take pictures of me and my daughter. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and so that was a little bit different, but it fades, you know, I, I haven't really been in the spotlight since I was swimming. I mean, yes, I do some television. I'd love to give motivational talks, but I haven't been in the spotlight like I was, you know, plastered all over the TV and stuff for a while. So I don't think it's really as bad now as it was. Well, you wonder how the the mental – we've talked about the mental part of it. But I remember a few years ago I was uh, hosting like this halftime show at a Nets game in front of 20,000 people. And it was like some goofy like American Idol knockoff. And it was, you know, people were cheering, screaming. I was just the host. But then I remember, get, you know, I didn't stay for the game. I get in my car and 10 minutes later – I'm in my house by myself staring at four walls. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and at that point, that's when I realized no wonder like athletes and actors and celebrities have like addiction issues or, or a battle with mental health because the dichotomy of ha- having 20,000 people staring and screaming at you and then sitting in your house alone, no human being is built for that. So talk to me about how that feels for you that, you know, you've had the world watching and then five minutes later, you're sitting there in your kitchen writing out the list that what you need to pick up from Publix. I think it was a little different for me because I had something to come home to my daughter and she was waiting for me. And like I said, she's the most important thing to me. So, um, you know, I think it was actually easier for me, but a lot of athletes go through this. Like I remember in 2000, I was like, okay, I just won five medals at the Olympic Games. Now I'm flying back to New York and I have no job. You know, and it's just like, and so a lot of athletes go through um, depression uh, afterwards. And it would be nice if, you know, maybe the Olympic Committee or someone would come up with something for athletes to sort of be able to either talk to someone or have some type of program to help people sort of make that transition because it's tough because you're in your sport your whole entire life and that's all you know. And you, you like adrenaline just leading up to the Olympic Games, if that's what, or whatever your goal is, just that adrenaline leading up, leading up, you know, then all of a sudden it's over. And it's it's like it's it really hits you, like really, really hits you. So it's 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 tough and it's it's not easy to deal with, but um, you know, you just you have to kind of just find different things in your life to keep you busy. 
just to build on that, Dara, you know, what makes you great is that all in full engagement, yes. full investment. How have you chosen to redirect that, redeploy that post your athletic career? You know, I, I, I think the hardest time for me was in 2000 because I gave up my job to just, I just sort of quit my job and moved out to Palo Alto and started training with a Stanford team. And I had no plans after I was done. I didn't know what I was going to do. And so you have to start working it again, you know? Um, you know, like I said, in 2008, I had my daughter and, and stuff started coming my way because of the media sort of throwing me in the limelight. But in, in 2000, I got back to New York. I'm like, okay, um, I got to start working it now in a different aspect. And so I go to my agent and I'm, what's out there? I have to go, you know, do auditions. And you just have to sort of like get your mindset in the way you trained for whatever you were doing and sort of reprogram it and start training for the next chapter in your life. Dear, I, I have to ask also, we've, we've talked to other professional athletes uh, and whether it was a basketball or a baseball or whatever the sport was that some have told us they've never touched a bat or a ball or never stepped inside a gym since the last game they played. Do you still get in the pool? I do actually. It, it's, it has been few and far between because of COVID and the limitations in the pool and you know, the kids come first with training. And I used to train, I used to go and just like maybe once or twice a week, jump in with a swim team and train with them. But it's very strict now on the rules. So I haven't done it as much, but you know, when I, when I can, I do, it's just not a consistent thing. And I think I, I've been through those periods already. I mean, you gotta remember I retired like three different times. So I had those periods where I wanted nothing to do with the swimming pool. In fact, after 2000, I went seven years without touching the water. And then I was like, okay, I want to make a comeback now. And I just kind of fell in love with the sport again. But that was probably the worst of it was after 92 was, was when I really wanted nothing to do with the water. Like just the smell of chlorine made me sick. That's incredible. I didn't know that large of time span had occurred earlier in your career. Yes. My three retirements, my first one was after college, about a year and a half. And then I decided to come back and train for 92. And then after 92, I took seven years off. And a year before, came back and trained for 2000. And then 2005 and six, I guess, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I um, started to just swim a little bit. So, yeah. And to, to Joe's point earlier, do, do you feel like you came back hungrier after those periods of respite? So I don't think it's so much hungrier. I think it's just really missed the sport. You know, I mean, obviously I'm very competitive. I still am. So I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think the, the word you use is to prove yourself because you're at a different age. People say you're not doing it the right way. You know, going and asking the anti-doping agency to, to test me any way you can to show people I'm doing it the right way. People thinking I'm, I can't do it because of my age. Like whatever the, the reason is, it's not so much. It's just wanting to prove, I guess, yourself. And that's really kind of where I was uh, training for 2008 was, was trying to prove myself. Did you ever feel like you needed to seek out motivation? And the reason I asked this is it's always humorous to me when I see an athlete, you know, win a championship or win a medal and they always default. Well, they always thank God first, but then they always default and they say, everybody counted us out. Like I, I always laugh every time Tom Brady went to Super Bowl, he says, everybody counted me out. I'm like, you're Tom Brady. No one counts you out. So, and and Michael Jordan was the same way. He always found like he needed to, to seek out some sort of motivation. Did you, like whether it was in the pool or in life, do you feel like you have to seek out motivation or does it come naturally? For me, it comes naturally. I don't know. I, I just like, I have parents ask me, how can I get my 
my kids motivated. It's either there or not. I mean, you can always, you know, help them set goals or have a prize at the end and make them like try harder, whatever you have to do. But for me personally, like I set, I set the goal. Like when I started training for 2008, I'm like, okay, I'm going to win a gold medal. Whether it was feasible or not, that's what I wanted to do. I think that's one of the reasons why I even medaled because I was fifth in the world going into those Olympic games. And I really shouldn't have won a gold, silver, or bronze out of those. I shouldn't have. But for those almost two years I was training, I had in my head that, okay, I'm winning a gold medal. And it's, it's, it's amazing sort of the power of positive thinking, but, but I'm definitely a motivated person anyway. Like I want to win. So, so that's kind of ingrained in me. Some people just want to touch the wall first, Joe. Exactly. <laughs> that's true. And, you know, just judging by the, our, the conversation, we, you know, talking to you for about 30 minutes, I feel like, you know, and I always do this with people like the what if, what do you have you ever imagined like what your life would be without your daughter? Because it feels like a lot of pretty much a lot of the decisions you've made over the last, you know, 10, 15 years have revolved around your daughter. Could you imagine your life without her? No, absolutely not. I mean, she's when people ask me what's the best thing I've done in my life, it's obviously having my daughter and she's really my everything. And I, I, I waited later in life to have her. And, you know, so I was kind of an older mom. And, and I think that was good, too. You know, I got kind of all my stuff out of the way I wanted to do and could focus on her. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's been a blessing having her. You know, the old uh, chess master, uh, Robert Byrne, used to say, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. What is Dara Torres's purpose these days? Well, I, I, I really like to try to, as his ironic I really try to like to motivate people. <laughs> I, I love to give motivational talks and you know, those have kind of cut down because I had a, a lot lined up and I was going to Tokyo, you know, then COVID hit and all that kind of just halt, came to a halt. So I'm trying to get back and get into motivational speeches. I, you know, when I was younger, I thought, okay, I want to be in TV. This is all I want to do. And it's just really not, I mean, I do some, but it's really not what my passion is. I, I, I love giving speeches and trying to motivate people. Well, mission accomplished in this discussion. <laughs> um, and I would just say, Dara, hearing you talk about your daughter, we talk with a lot of folks who are at the the highest levels of their game, whether it be in business and industry or sport. And there can be competing commitments at that level between your craft and your family. And I applaud what you have done. I can't think of a better gift you could give your daughter, but to show and model for her a strong woman who continued to test her edge. Her name is Dara Torres. She's a legend, a living legend, Dara. How about that? Did you ever think when you were swimming in the pool back back in your early days when you are just getting all those strokes down that one day people would be like, wow, there goes a legend? No, never. I still don't concern myself that. So thank you. That's very kind, though. Well, you are. And Dara, we appreciate your time for uh, taking the time to uh, chat with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. You're very welcome. That was truly inspiring, Rick. But before we go, let's run down Unleashed in Action. Rick, what are some of the actionable takeaways from our conversation with Dara? So inspired by by Dara Torres. And I, I think for me, the takeaway is that achievement at the at the highest levels does not eliminate our personal or professional exposure to these disruptive moments. In fact, listening to Dara, it confirms for me that achievement at the highest level emanates from these discontinuous, disruptive, uh, challenging moments. And I feel like we are living in it. It's of all the isms, Rick, I don't know if you agree with me. It's the only acceptable ism nowadays is ageism. You can make fun of someone being too old or too young. 
The other isms, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> You'll get in a lot of trouble. But I feel like we're in this culture that you're allowed to do that. She didn't let that bother her. The fact that she was competing against people who were her children's age is remarkable. And something. And for me, a huge takeaway, and for hopefully people listening as well, is the fact that don't let your age define who you are. It's an, it's an unfortunate thing that we're seeing a lot of age discrimination now, but You've got you've got to just fight all that off and just present the best person that you are. Yeah, and and you know there there are certainly a number of stories throughout time and and through sport about folks that 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 sort of come back or they 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 test the periods of of time and and ability. But I think Dara, I mean, really takes it to a whole new level. If I'm if I remember correctly, uh, Joe, the 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 next oldest competitor. Uh, that she faced at those Olympics was 25 years old. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it really just an, even an outlier amidst these amazing stories of testing time. And so, and Dara shows us that in, in many ways, and in most cases, we, we're capable of more than we know. Yeah, and we could follow our dreams and still have a family. The fact that she was competing at the highest level possible in the world of swimming and raising a daughter it just goes to show you that you know when we complain when we get home at the end of the day and we're like we're too too annoyed or too tired to talk to our kids listen this woman was waking up at three o'clock in the morning swimming raising a child and doing all that and being in the olympics so she just shows you the way that listen we all have a lot on our shoulders we all are spinning a lot of plates and juggling chainsaws but if we put our mind to it, we can be all things. I like to joke that it's okay to have two different thoughts. We can be that Olympic swimmer, but we can also be that mother and parent and friend. We can do so much more than we give ourselves credit for. Mm, yeah, so true. And and uh, and I learned through our interview with Dara that you know she certainly was uh, a devoted athlete. Um, but I think we all walk away having heard her story, realizing that she's uh, she's even more a devoted parent. Fantastic. Thanks, Rick. To find out more about Dara or to book Dara for your next speaking event, go to daratorres.com. This has been Unleashed with Rick Simmons. If you'd like to embrace change as a strategic advantage or learn how to catalyze periods of liminality within your organization, go to thetelosinstitute.com. Unleashed, a production of Forbes Books.